some of those people make a decision to go into what he calls the swampy lowlands, where the problems are ill-formed, they're hard to define, it's hard to make progress on them, and they're immensely challenging. And those people who go into that, take that route and go into the swamp, their lives turn out different. Welcome to Bloom. This is a podcast that explores stories of leadership and success from highly sensitive people who have overcome adversities and are now using their gifts to empower their communities. Here's your host, Yole Berlaga Bucciolati. Welcome to Bloom the place for highly sensitive change makers to be inspired to step into their power and be the missing link they are waiting for. Welcome, everyone. Today, I have the special pleasure of introducing a friend. His name is Rick Torset, and he's a consultant and a leadership coach with many years of experience. We got to know each other actually through my husband because they both went um, to Side Business School or Side Business School in HSC and got a master's degree in coaching and consulting for change. So you have serendipity here. (laughs) Rick, you believe that leadership is not a position, but that leadership begins as a choice, that leadership is learned, and it is experienced as an action. And I found that is a wonderful nugget that we can talk about here. Leaders have an outsized responsibility to guide, lead, and build organizations that do good in the world and that do well by the people who work in those organizations. And that's a quote, you know, from your homepage. And that puts us right into the topic. We're going to talk about leadership today. We're going to talk about messy things in leadership, uh, problematic things, and how you can be a, become a guiding light. So HSP change makers, listen up. This is going to be a very important episode for you. Rick, you've written a book amongst all the other things you've done, which is called Leading is Always a Choice, Tools for Action When Leading in a Hot Mess. But I have to admit that one of my favorite things about you is that you're a thought leader yourself, And you taught me a great many things about how to be a thought leader. And I'm very grateful to you for that. Hmm. And you're a wonderful guide through the swamp, what you call the swamp. And you have a very successful podcast that's called the 10,000 Swamp Leaders that I had the luck to be on. And I would like to pass the baton to you and telling us a little bit more about why did you call it 10,000 Swamp Leaders and what the swamp is. And also, how come you decided to lead in that way? Over to you. Oh, wow. So, so first of all, Jolly, thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, Turnabout is fair play, as you well know. So since I'm the guest, I get to throw wing ball things here that you didn't plan for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, gosh, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff here. I, I, I want to start at your beginning point, which is to say that uh, your husband, Jan, and I are colleagues in the program. And... He is a wonderful guy. It's just cool to be in the in the conversation with you. So thanks for having me. So let me uh, take your question about the swamp, uh, which I think requires a little bit of background. So uh, most of the work that I do in leadership development, uh, both coaching and also in group work, 
is targeted purposefully for people and challenges that they're facing that are highly complex and socially important. So, for example, climate change, global health, global development, um, racial equity, those kinds of things, those tend to be quite intractable social problems, which is to say um, no clear answer to them. And so the skill set to lead and get people involved in that is different than if you're dealing with technical problems where um, the, the challenges you face could be hard, but there is an answer to it. We know how to make cars for example. Uh, we know how to build buildings. So um, this is a different world and it calls for a different set of, uh, I think, competencies uh, and capacities to lead. Uh, I am, with due credit, I am highly influenced by the work of the Kennedy School of Government in Harvard, uh, particularly the program run by Ron Heifetz, founded by Ron Heifetz and Marty Alinsky a long time ago. Uh, called adaptive leadership. And it's their thinking that I'm leaning on, which is leading is a choice and an activity and can come from anywhere in the system. And usually always does when we think about the big social change movements that we've witnessed in the world. Um, so uh, what my purpose is, is to help those people who've made a decision to work in that world of highly complex uh, challenges and help them build the capacity that they need to lead. And that leading, one of its primary activities is to mobilize other people because you can't do this by yourself. So you're trying to foster a kind of movement. And what are the skills that actually do that? That's craft. That's not accident. That's not random. That's craft. And so the work is to help them build that craft muscle, if you will, to be able to use themselves and mobilize people in that work. That's a long answer to your question, but yeah, but it's, uh, it warrants a long answer because what you do is complex. You know, it may sound simple, but it's actually complex. So thank you very much for that, setting the stage. Basically, when you were just summarizing that, I um, I wanted to sort of go one step back, and that is, I think you heard of the term highly sensitive through me. Uh, when we had a you know discussions about things and the <laughs> the verdict is still out whether you are highly sensitive or just very highly empathic or whichever mix <laughs> might be <laughs> fitting you but i i don't think that for this podcast this is actually relevant but i what i want to say is the things that you address that you just addressed in that summary are so relevant for many highly sensitive people because we are system thinkers. It's something we actually like, meaning we tend to end up, and you will explain that later, in the swamp, because we see, one, we have the capacity to see and sense what's not working. Yeah. And then we can sense it actually at a more complex level than many other people do. And then you have added in that trait of many highly sensitives of saying, I want to contribute to change. And, you know, especially the, the people listening to this that want to, to actually build something. And usually, and you mentioned that as well, building community. And because we are wired that way, but we cannot find guiding lights in traditional leadership. Because traditional leadership, anyway, the way I, I've experienced it, um, you know, many times in, in people that are very influential, that they are not serving a cause but they actually are entitled 
I'm the leader, so I'm entitled to something. And that is a very different way of leading than what you are talking about. Yeah, it is. It's uh, and it's. I think it's probably at the outset useful to put in an, an additional distinction here, which is the difference between leading and authority in organizational structures. Um, and that's not to be pejorative to authority because it's an essential attribute to a healthy organization. But to to put a sort of visual to it, um, the organizational chart is a map of authority, not a map of leading. And we inherently know that as, as uh, people who've lived and worked in the world for some period of time, meaning that two distinctions I would make to sharpen that. One is that uh, authority is usually a description that is embedded in a position description in the org chart. So if you are in an organization, you have a certain vested authority that comes with the role you got. And if you lead the organization today and I replace you tomorrow, I get that authority and you leave it at the door when you walk out. So we know that's part of, of the structure of the organization. We also know inherently, if we've been around a while, that we can be embedded in that organization or in a society at large and see a need for leadership when we look up to the authority figures and they don't meet that moment. Absolutely. So that gap between authority and leading is a critical distinction for people who are thinking that they want to be active and use themselves because invariably two things are going to happen. One is there's a need for it in the system, as you described. And two, you're not going to get asked to do it oftentimes. You're going to have to raise your own hand and step into it in order to get going. And so having the distinction that leading is a choice and an activity, not part of the structure, is a starting point for deciding. It puts it on me to say, okay, if it's a choice and an activity, I'm an adult or I'm a human being. I can choose. Am I going to do that? You know, so that moment of truth is really critical, but you get there by having that distinction, I think. Very, very important point. Thank you for that. And I would like to take that a bit further because you talk about, you know, action and choice. And that if we take that further, it includes learning. So you're not, you don't, at the start, you don't know everything. You don't know how to do everything. And that can be a very scary aspect. And I would like to start with a quote that I actually found on your homepage. Uh-oh. <laughs> we can sort of, you know, return to the swamp maybe with, with that quote and with okay. that aspect, okay? So I am always doing that which I cannot do in order that I may learn how to do it by Pablo Picasso. And you put that on your homepage, and it was hard to choose which one to take, but I think this one is is highly relevant. And I've, you know, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, and I hear that over and over again when when people describe how they got to be where they are, how much learning was involved. Because I think we skipped that because we dove in immediately. Let's keep that in mind and. Maybe in that context, you could explain a bit more about your podcast and how it came about, and and then maybe we can weave in that aspect. Okay. Of- yeah. So let me give due credit to Pablo Picasso. I, I so I had a minor in art history when I was in university. I should have stayed with it. Uh, I didn't do that. We maybe circle back to that one too. Okay. Um, so I have high regard for him uh, in his work and and how he traveled the journey he traveled, um, and I think that. Uh, uh, I'm a kinesthetic learner, 
I've always known that I learn by doing. And so his quote also fits nicely into my learning style. You know, so I'm not a book reader to learn. I'm not a, a verbal person to learn primarily. I can pick up some stuff that way, but primarily I got to get my hands dirty and I got to be doing it and make mistakes and screw up uh, and then learn from that. That feedback process is critical. So uh, basketball, right? I remember you had. Yeah. 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 You know, so, you know, sports is a kinesthetic process, you know. So I think most of those people who are really great at, in those kinds of activities know that their whole body is a learning vehicle, not just their head, not just their eyes, not just their senses. Um, and that's the only way we can explain quick reactions to things that you go, how in the world they do that? Well, their body's in charge of that, you know, they're, they're moving. So I th I come with that, uh, for better or for worse. How I, how I got down this road with the podcast was because I worked with so many people who, in my view, as we've discussed, had already made a decision to lead and do something really challenging in the world for, for, for the common good, um, I, I had wanted to, I noticed that there's, they tended to be modest, that their stories weren't widely known. And, and so I thought I could I create a forum podcast where they could share their stories, lessons learned, what they know, mistakes they've made. We learn more from our failures and our successes. Um, and also the second tier reason was that there could be younger people on this leadership journey. And if they could pick up a few things in the conversation that could help their development, that would be great. So there's sort of an elder um, tribal thing going on in the conversation I have with my guests, passing wisdom or ideas on to future generations. That's the two-pronged strategy for me. The name, though, comes from some a piece uh, that I read years ago, and it never left me, and I copied it out of the book, and I have it all over the place, and I finally found a place to use the thing <laughs> in the podcast. And it comes from a guy named Donald Schwone, who was a... Uh, uh, organizational development guy out of Harvard and um, MIT. And he writes in a book, uh, this, the dynamic that occurs for most adults, which is they reach a kind of point of technical competency in their life, usually in their late 30s, early 40s. And for some subset of those people, they arrive at a, a place where they're asking whether or not this skill is really what I want to do. Um, where the answers are known and it's an implementation life at that point. And some of those people make a decision to go into what he calls the swampy lowlands, where the problems are ill-formed, they're hard to define, it's hard to make progress on them, and they're immensely challenging. And those people who go into that, take that route and go into the swamp, their lives turn out different. And it was the their lives turn out different was the catalytic thing for me around what's happening here and what's the difference and how does that get utilized in the world? And so that's been sort of the center point of my work and also certainly the podcast because now I can actually get into it and find out what was that moment in time and how has your life turned out differently because of that decision? So I, I, I get to do that on a podcast. It's harder in the work, but it's easier in the podcast. Yeah, but it's so inspiring, your podcast. I mean, because you draw people from, you know, all kinds of countries and they have all kinds of missions and they they are just simply inspiring in what they're trying to achieve. And 
I can, you know, seriously say anybody, you know, go and listen to, to Rick's podcast um, if you're trying to build something because it will inspire you a lot. And, and, and all your listeners should know you are a guest on one of the episodes, so they can be inspired <laughs> by you as well. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So let's talk about are there certain points in your life where you, you know, you made choices or you made choices that took you on a different trajectory? You know, I know later in life, you definitely decided that you wanted to do things differently. And I know that you're actually planning to uproot your life yet again, coming to Europe. So, you know, there's still lots, a lot of sense of adventure in you. Yeah. So you had told me that this would be a piece of our conversation and it got me to thinking, is that really how my life has unfolded? You know, because it's my life and it can seem fairly mundane and boring in a lot of times, you know, so were there these flashpoints or these forks in the road or some such? Um, and there are some major ones, but your question, Jolly, uh, provoked me to think further back. And um, uh, so I, I guess context matters a little bit. Um, so I was the first grandchild in the first child and grandchild for my grandparents and my parents in our family of families that grew up in the depression and world war ii and so this awakening coming out of that was a big deal i was the first one to go to university in my family that was a big deal lost on me that it was a big deal but it was for them and it was probably in that part of my life that i it took me quite a long time to figure out i i'm here in university not for me i'm here for parents and grandparents and by the time I sorted that out, I was so far into it that I thought I can't start it over again. I can't bear that. So I stuck it out and figured out I'll make something work after this. And I didn't really do that very well, actually. I, I donned a suit and tie and uh, became sort of a, a proper worker that looked like I was supposed to be doing in the eyes of this audience of people on the balcony, my parents, grandparents, so I could show them that. Uh, they and I had pulled it off. You know, I was a good member of society with a proper job and it looked right. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I was miserable the entire time. <laughs> the entire time. And it was a long time of being miserable, to be honest with you. Well, we can so that, misery that's for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just trying to please other people. Yeah. Yeah, and, and not just other people. There's a whole generational pleasing going on for that generation. Just like I think that's probably true for my daughter and your kids and stuff. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on. Yeah. And uh, my sense of it is it's a challenge to find your own voice and your own source of, of power and, and motivation. Because uh, it's, not, it's not cultivated very well in our society where I live. Let's put it that way. No, it's not. It still isn't astonishingly in it's actually sometimes I think it's actually getting worse. Yeah, could be. Yeah. I'm I'm past that now and I'm trying to figure out what I do in the last part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you've already done it. So when did you decide? I mean, is there it's it's very rarely one exact point, but there must have been a, a place and a time where you decided that that pain of adapting was too large. That yeah, the uh, there was a very specific moment, although I had to look back on it to realize that was the moment, but it was very 
it is very much the case. I had moved to New York. I was working for a company um, in the finance world. And um, there was a, a need to train some people who needed the services we did in order to be able to do the work that they did. Um, and so there was a training program designed and they asked me to come in and do a section on the, the work that I did. It was in the World Trade Center, the pre 9-11, way before pre 9-11. Uh, nearly on the top floor. It was, uh, I, I, I was thinking, what am I doing here in the middle of lower Manhattan on the 105th floor of the World Trade Center doing a program? And I loved it. It was cool. I liked I liked helping people. I liked doing a bit of teaching. I liked uh, being in the dialogue of what we do with this and strategize it. And that turned out to be the starting point for me. Um, I couldn't, I didn't have enough insight into my own uh, experience to connect it to something next beyond the world that I was in. But when I, that ultimately happened and happened through my wife, Teresa, actually in a training company that she was working for. And I ended up becoming a trainer for them. And that is what put the pieces together for me where I knew that I was more teacher, coach, facilitator. And I liked the uh, the ambiguity. I liked the uncertainty. I liked how anything could go- happen in the moment and being able to respond to it. And I found a place that felt like home for the first time. And that was probably uh, 1994, something like that, 93, somewhere in there. And so I, I was kind of off and running at that point. So I caught you with one HSP aspect after all, or <laughs> yet another one, I should actually say, and that is that desire for freedom it's that desire to be creative to to be independent to shape your own path to to mold and create information for example yeah to like you say to teach so that it's not a mundane task um, yep. a lot of the work in the financial world i would say is a mundane task because it's doing the same thing over and over and over again with one goal to generate more money for the system it's not to say you know generating money is bad i don't want to go go into that discussion at all and that again takes us back to your podcast is that desire for something else to be there for something for either for the common good or to support others or to make life easier um, for people that are suffering i hear that over and over and over again um you know with highly sensitive people that i work with that 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 come and seek help with me that they say i don't have meaning mm-hmm. in my life i have a job without meaning i'm just making money and i just can't keep doing that i need some reorientation i need some advice i need to find again what actually makes me joyful so that fits really really well to point that out as a turning point yeah and there's a i would say in my case and it won't be true for everybody but in my case the other serious sort of um, innate aspect of who I was, but didn't again see this until later on was I am, I have a long consistent history of being highly engaged in being on teams. Mm -hmm. Being on teams has provided for me the most enriching experiences of my life other than my family. And inherent with being on a team that is effective is is a combination of give and take and sharing and collaboration and, and sorting out challenges. Um, and, uh, there's no high performing team that doesn't have to deal with that kind of stuff. And, and I like that. And I like that community of that. So 
I, I extended it out as I got older to see that what I really am quite enthralled with and wanting to be active in is community building mm. for the common good. And, that, and because it takes a community, it takes a movement to make social change and impact. And you have to have the skills to get along with each other in order to ultimately realize a larger goal than you can pull up on your own. And we're not, generally speaking, um, well-versed in those collaborative skills and human relation skills to to do that work well without a lot of grit. And so part of it is, is to smooth that out a little bit. So take courage, HSPs, listen, because we are so community orientated. We are so much in need of true, authentic communication. As I, you know, say in, in my other talks, we need to create that for ourselves. You know, we need to step out of the victim place of saying, well, society is so bad and it doesn't offer us that opportunity because at the moment it's not an easy way to make a career out of. But as I keep saying, we are the missing link. We are the ones, like I say in my introduction, we are waiting for, we are needed. That skill to be able to work in community, for communities, to authentically want to be with other people and create something and is essential for what's going on right now. It's absolutely essential. And you are one of the teachers, Rick. And that's why I wanted you on the podcast. You know, it took you a, a long way to get there, but you are. I, I hope so. You know, it's, that's, the, that's the thing that, keeps me moving i am um, and i would I, I i concur with everything you're saying here and i would add a piece that we haven't discussed because it, it's it, it's inevitable that a person who's doing or trying to get where we're talking about will end up in this place too which is at some point you got to be a follower a good follower to another person who's got something big to play in and you want to be part of that and um and learning this craft of the work of following is, is is an essential part because in doing what you're at helping people do or what I help people do, they those people will end up in both of those dances, leading, following, leading, following. And we need to be balanced in our capacity to do both. It gives us great potential for power and impact. But to the extent that we're deficient in, in say, on the follower side, um, it diminishes impact because um, you're going to end up having to co-join and and end up being in a follower opportunity from time to time. And so that skill is that I would I'm putting a plug in for followership as another element, and it's a choice as well. Am I going to follow you and give up part of what I've been leading for a while because I think what you're up to has greater impact and I can I want to be part of that. And if I'm in as a follower, I'm in as a follower, not a leader to start with. Yeah, I think this is a great point. And I'm trying to think about the English word. I can't think of it now. It's the opposite of pride. You know, when you have that ability to actually know when there is somebody who knows better than you do about a particular set of skills or information or something that needs to be done, you know, to propel the mission forward. Mm -hmm. That is not a talent that a well, let's talk about that in the way. Is that or is it not? I was going to say it's not a skill that many leaders have, but um, you know, you have so much more knowledge about that. It's just is it just that in our society that particular type of leadership is not fostered? 
Or is that a problem with leadership in itself? Or is it just the way we see it? Or all of the above and and not all of the above, meaning it's it's complicated, it's messy, right? Really? Uh, I think I think that uh, there is a, but to your point and to the people who are listening, there is a tactical move that people who have made a choice to lead and create a movement uh, and get people to follow them. And for the sake of the common good, let's assume that's all, all those pieces are in place because we can get people to follow us and for anything other than the common good quite easily. We know that history tells us that. So um, one of the things that happens when a person is made that decision and they actually have followers and they're doing this important work is they can get elevated to a kind of uh, pedestal position. Mm-hmm. And that's very seductive and, and intoxicating. And it can happen before you know it's happening. And suddenly you're there, but you weren't suddenly there. You were there a while ago and you didn't catch it. Um, and so uh, that doesn't scale, among other things, for impact. It just doesn't get it done. And so the, the, the wise move that people who have been around for a while and in this position understand is, one, they can get seduced by the followers. And mm-hmm. the seduction can be, I take your work back and do it myself because you've made a case that it's hard or something like that. So the seduction, they're better at seducing than I am at noticing I'm being seduced. There's a lag usually in there for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. The counter to that is is um, is to give work back to people, purposely give people work back and make it clear that that's what's happening. So it's very transparent. Um, I, I'm giving you this work because, A, I believe you can do it. And here's why I believe you can do it. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Here's what we're trying to get done. Let's remember that. I'm available if you need questions and help, but you go do this work. That's why we're here. And we need you to do your part. We need that person over there. We need us all to do the things we do. So we string them together and we make progress on this really hard challenge. Um, and so sometimes it's it's about uh, challenging adults to be adults, you know, <laughs> yeah. to do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it in the form they said they do it in. That's how you came to be on this team. So let's go do our jobs and I am available if you have questions, but I will not take your work back from you. So what you're pointing out, if I understand that correctly, is that um, there is a shared responsibility, that good leadership has that aspect of acknowledging the contribution that others bring to the common mission rather than sort of collecting all the praise for myself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's, it is because that's the only way the work scales. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we want to have big impact, we need to share the work and everything, all the fruits that come from that, and including all the failures that come from that. What do we learn? How do we screw this up? How do we make a mess of this? What's our contribution to the mess that we're trying to solve here? So it's a very active process and it's alive and it's sometimes messy and frustrating, socially complex. But there is, in my mind, there is no greater, cooler moment than to be part of a group of people who pull something off that was hard and was rewarding and had impact in the world. That's about as good as it gets. So let's talk about courage. You say Mm. that courage is freedom and anxiety. You say that also on your homepage. And I love that because that is actually very deeply my experience that I go you know, I oscillate from anxiety to freedom 
through courage and back and forth. Yeah. Would you like to explain a bit or expand on this? Sure. Um, So uh, one of my significant influences in my professional and personal life is from a body of work called The Human Element, designed by a guy named Will Schutz. Will has passed on. Um, I would would argue that he's had the, the most impact on my personal thinking and also my way I think about helping people. And he has in there a, a pretty basic model, which is that we human beings are oriented by three needs, being significant, being competent, and being liked or in an interpersonal way loved. Um, so if you're in an organizational setting, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm a manager, a leader, a person of authority, and I've got a team of people here and we're trying to do X, Y, and Z, uh, it behooves me to understand what the particular concoction of those three elements are for the individuals, because it could be all different. For example, in my case, I'm very low on significance as a as a as a need. I'm very high on, on relationships in an interesting dynamic way, and I'm also it's important for me to be seen as competent in the world. That's how I get work. Um, so if I'm blind to that to those needs, um, those become a kind of unquenched hunger that causes me to do weird things in pursuit of what I'm trying to do. And so I think that uh, a leader's job on a team is to not only know that the strategy and the tactics and the outcome and the impact you're trying to have, but how do you, how do you keep the individuals and the collective moving in the direction that gets the work done and also addresses these basic human needs that they have? Exactly. And and it's gun unfortunately it's a little complicated because yours are going to be different than mine and to the third person in some ratio. I can't have everybody get the same thing and think they're all gonna be happy, but they also can't expect to get the same thing and always be happy. So there's a give and take there. But I think it's important to make that explicit and to have that be transparent in as part of the design of who we are and what we're trying to do as a team, rather than mystical and magical or anything like that. That doesn't help. So I think there's a challenge there to to understand it, speak to it directly and honor it and then use it before it uses you because you'll get you'll get blindsided by it if you're blind to it. So what I hear, correct me if I'm wrong, is the amount of anxiety or freedom the um, experience is also influenced by how much we can actually share with others being we share the responsibility, share our mission, share emotions share you know look i have a problem here can we address that as a community that courage and i would actually say that is a courage in our society to do things in a different way to be more open to communicate in a clearer way um to have less hierarchy yeah have shared responsibility and so on and so on yeah, so I, I feel like I haven't answered your question, though. So let me try it using myself as an example. So, for example, in in in, in Will's model, I have um, a high desire to be in control of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And I've all, I, I, when I stumbled upon his work and understood it, I realized I've had that my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I, I have oriented myself a lot of times to hold on to that. Um, and that means that sometimes it can be very hard to collaborate with because I want my way because I think my way is the way. 
well, that's great if I'm willing to accept that, therefore, the level of impact I have is directly related to everything I can touch and I can only touch so much. And that's it. That's the size of my impact then. But if the impact is is to be at scale and to get work done through other people, I got to give up something here to collaborate more. And, and so for me, where the courage aspect comes into play is one, to catch it and see that it's happening. But more to the point is to actually tell people this is how I am. You know, and I, I I I run the risk, I suppose, in those situations of being rejected or dismissed or something because I've been more open about uh, a weakness that I have or a tendency I have to get myself in trouble than people are comfortable with, and it changes the way they interact with me, etc. So, so for me, courage in an organization tends to be much more interpersonal. I mean, we're not being asked. If firefighters are asked to go into burning buildings, that's a different thing. Most of my clients, they don't have that gig. No, but for many people, and I think that's the correct word here, vulnerability is like going into a house that's on fire. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially in business meetings and, you know, in, in that world. And um, I think what you're saying here, in a way, is that um, vulnerability and courage are also related in our context. How vulnerable are you willing to be? And Uh, in order to get people to work together towards a common goal. Yeah. I, I, of, yeah. Um, Brene Brown's work, uh, you know, anybody who's interested, go and, and read Brene Brown's stuff on vulnerability in the business context. It's great. I think it's, uh, I agree with you. I think courage and vulnerability are the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers of life <laughs> yeah, in an exactly. organization. They are dance partners. You cannot separate them at all. Yeah. And uh, And I think that, This could be abstract for some of your listeners. So let's put some part of it on the ground. So, okay. So, so if a listener is saying, okay, so I get that and I can find, I, I can flash on moments when I've been in that place and I didn't show up the way I wanted to, how could I do it different given what you're talking about here? And I think, uh, and this isn't to say what I'm going to say is easy to do, but it is a move to make, which is this, the strategy that I learned. Um, and I found it to be very effective and useful and hard is first truth first. And that first truth is usually about me and some anxiety or fear that I have. It's not about you. It's not about the circumstances, not about the situation. First truth first, it starts with me and it's about some concern I have. And what I have found is if I can figure out a way to articulate that, people step into that rather than back away from it. And now we got something to do. Now Mm -hmm. we can go. Now we can engage on a completely different level. Whole different world. Of human contact. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Now I'm going to ask you my last question, which I actually nicked from you, (laughs) from your podcast, (laughs) because I just think it's such a brilliant last question. What, you know, did I not ask you that you think is relevant in this context, you know, that would be supportive of this change maker community? The question that comes up is, what's the common denominator? Is there a common denominator? And if so, what is it that I've learned from working with all sorts of people who are trying to learn how to lead? Dang, I wish I hadn't come up with that answer to your question, because now I actually have- I love it. I love it, though. We're going to go over. If it takes longer, we're going to go over, because it's such a wonderful aspect. I think that what I've witnessed and experienced, and I've not 
researched this. I'm just going off of the human interactions I've had with people for a long time who in, are in this conversation. Is the yearning to lead themselves into a better life than the one they're having? I say better life. You shouldn't say into a more productive, helpful life to a larger cause. How do I use better myself? Life. Yeah. How do I use myself in pursuit of something I give a damn about? And they don't necessarily have great answers to that because we don't deal with that in our societies very well. So what I found is that those people who can sort of connect or they connect with me or somebody like me who can help them, um, they're quite thirsty and game to get on with it and, and build some craft. And I think the other part that I would say I've learned is that sometimes it's helpful and they don't, a lot of them don't show up with this initially, is to, to make a help them navigate a connection place in the real tactical world where they're going to live so they could actually do that in that world. In so it's not abstract. Yeah. In the real world, the concrete world, it's not abstract. It's not theoretical. It's like I live in this world to and I'm trying to have impact in this space doing this. Mm. And, and so those two parts, I think, are the parts that I've learned are often in the background for people when I'm working. And we need, the sooner we can get them into the foreground, then the more ways we have in which to calibrate actions and activities in a purposeful way. Otherwise, it's a little too abstract, a little 10,000 feet off the ground. We want to get it on the ground at some point because the world needs us on the ground doing the things we do with real human beings. Totally. I'm really looking forward to you reaching your goal of collecting 10,000 swamp leaders. And I wonder <laughs> when you reach that goal, what you will do next. <laughs> I, I got a bargain with the big person in the sky, but get more time to get to 10 grand, I think. But I'm working on it. I tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're going to get there. I'm sure you're going to get there. <laughs> so thank you very, very much, Rick, for having shared. So competently hey. and honestly hey you're welcome thank you for having me it's a it's a it's a cool role reversal to be in the opposite chair having this conversation <laughs> i've really enjoyed it <laughs> yeah so did i so did thank i you. thank you if you want to continue this conversation book a free 30-minute consultation on yule's website at integralcoreproject.com slash en slash contact and we invite you to join the support group for highly sensitive people. To join the support group, go to integralcoreproject.com slash support group. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate it.